Welcome back to True Crime with the bad girl and the player. I am Benny Scala, the player, and I'm here as always with my partner in crime, the Boston bad girl, the delightful Brittany Brown. And uh, hopefully everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Me personally, I turned my cheat day into a four-day food bender, but I'm happy to say I'm back in the gym this morning, and I'm going to go back to my diet of uh, kipper snacks and shredded wheat. Brittany, how about you? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was fine. Just another day here hanging out with my dog, and, and I can see yours. Hello, Bree. Oh, and we're always joined, as always, by Bree, the crime dog, the new crime dog. The new crime dog, yep. She's we got to get her a cape. Today. She needs to have a cape because she's a superhero now. Absolutely, yeah, like Nikki Ash, almost a, super, almost a superhero. <laughs> Right. So good Thanksgiving. Not not so not not totally off the diet. Oh, j- just another day to me. We we cooked a chicken and that was it. Oh, okay. All right. Then you don't have anything to atone for. Exactly. Unlike me. You know, it's really funny. I remember one time I was on the treadmill at Planet Fitness for like 45 minutes, and you see the uh uh you know it shows you the calories burned. Yeah. And I think it was like 375 calories. And I thought, well, I actually went to McDonald's for a for a diet coke because I was thirsty. But it was it was breakfast time, and I I, I looked at the McGriddle McGriddle I guess it's called, and yeah. I, I think it, that like you know they they now they have the calorie information and it was like 380 calories and I'm thinking I could probably eat that maybe four bites and you know maybe two minutes so right. like it, it takes me two minutes to to eat something that took me like would take me 45 minutes to burn off. Right. And, and at that moment, life was just very unfair. It should be the other way around. It absolutely should. I, I second that opinion. You know, eat for 45 minutes and then, you know, walk around a block and then you can eat for 45 more minutes. There you go. I'd much rather do that. Well, my, my fellow true crime junkies, uh, today we're going to talk about one of the most shocking crimes in American history, I think. On November 13th, 1974, uh, Ronald DeFeo, also known as Butch, to his family and friends, um, at around three in the morning at their house, uh, um, brutally murdered his uh, mother, father, and four young, younger siblings at their home in Amityville, New York. And uh, now later that evening, uh, DeFeo entered Henry's pub in Amityville, New York, and declared, you've got to help me. My mother and father have been shot. And that what happened, several of the, uh, the patrons accompanied DeFeo to his house at 112 Ocean Avenue. Uh, which was literally, I mean, within walking distance of, of the bar, and I'll get into that in a second. But uh, one of one of DeFeo's very close friends called the uh, the Suffolk County Police Department, who, uh, you know, they, they found all six family members dead in their beds. And, and Brittany, now you were probably a very young child in Situate, Massachusetts, several states away uh, when this happened. Do, do you have any recollection of this? I never heard of it until the movie came out. Never. Oh. When did, the, when did the first movie come out? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I want to say 79. Okay. So like Not, five years later. Yeah, five years later. That's the first time I ever heard of it. Okay. And there were, now this, I, I, I have to plead in, in ignorance on, but, or innocence, but uh, there were, there was, there, there was more than one, correct? Yes. There was another one uh, remake in 2005. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Yeah, I've I've seen none of that. I guess now that we've done this, I might backtrack. And yeah. now that I know what I know about the whole situation, I I'd, I'd probably you know with a little bit more perspective, I might just do that. But you know, it's really ironic that our very first True Crime episode was about the Boston Strangler, which was literally in your backyard. Right. And now this one's in mine because I grew up in Farmingdale, Long Island, and according to Google Maps, my house 
at 142 Interval Avenue in uh, Farmerdale was literally 4.3 miles away from the Ocean Avenue, uh, Massachusetts side of the murder. And now my brother-in-law, John Wendell, was the bartender on duty at uh, Henry's um, pub when DeFeo burst in that evening. I actually had the chance to talk to him this this afternoon for about 10, 15 minutes. And uh, actually, it's funny, a funny story because uh, John was uh, was at his, his apartment and uh, smoking some marijuana. The police knock on the door as police and he's thinking, oh, crap, I'm busted. And they walk in and they say, we want to ask you about uh, Ronald DeFeo. And they said, don't worry, we're not going to talk about that thing, which was like, you know, the whole place reeking a pot. But he actually said that, you know, not only did DeFeo come in at six in the uh, the after the evening, but he was there a couple of times during the day, which effectively blew his alibi that he was working at his dad's. Oh, you want to get down? All right, you can get down. I'm sure you're going to make a run in that soon enough. Uh, so now I... I have quite the vivid imagination, but I just can't stretch it far enough to imagine, like, what would possess someone to brutally murder their entire family? I think he DeFeo was 23, um, and he worked—I'm not sure if it was a body shop or a dealership. I watched a couple of different documentaries, and one said body shop, one said dealership. I asked my brother-in-law. He wasn't sure either, but um, Ronald Sr., the dad, reportedly had a very uh, kind of explosive temper and a forceful personality, and junior and senior— uh, Frequently butted heads, which, I mean, that's not much different than, you know, many fathers and sons. But um, Junior was also uh, reportedly heavily involved in both drugs and definitely alcohol because we, we knew that he was at the bar. You know, I can see you losing your temper and and taking your anger out on your, you know, your abusive father. Although, I mean, thank God I'm I'm, I'm kind of naive to that stuff. My dad was a, a great guy. But um, what I don't understand is, you know, you got two younger brothers who were 12 and nine. Um, Brittany, how, how could someone, I mean, how does somebody get to this point in life? Oh my God. I, I can't believe it. I mean, we've all gotten mad. We've all, you know, maybe keyed someone's car or, you know, flattened a tire or something like that. I, I, I've never done that. Even, even through a telephone, maybe, maybe punched a hole in the wall, but you're, yeah. you're, you're taking your fresh, your anger out on a, an inanimate and unliving object. I just, I can't understand how you could kill your own family, anyone, but your own family. And like you said, two younger brothers, isn't that unbelievable? Well, I mean, there, there's been, a, even I guess Marvin Gaye, the, the, the great singer, got murdered by his father, I think, on Father's Day. They had yes. a squabble and the, the father shot him, but like, you know, then the father didn't go on a rampage and kill the rest of the family. So, I mean, I could, I mean, I, I, with a stretch, I could see maybe him doing that to his dad, but like, then you kill, you know, five other people in your family. Why? It's crazy. I, I, I can't understand. He had to have some underlying issues. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Had to. And, and we're going to get, we're going to get into that too. So, um, you know, DeFeo's taken into custody by the Suffolk County PD. You have Suffolk County in, in, in Mass, don't you? Yes. Or you have a, a city named Suffolk, don't you? Uh, no, it's county. It is a county. All right. Yeah. Um, and so initially they took him in for his own protection. And there's a I, I watched a news clip and they said he is not considered a suspect at the, or a person. Of, I mean, how do you not consider it? I mean, if there's seven people dead and there's one person alive in the family, you know, it, no, nobody's that lucky. But um, yeah. yeah, now he initially uh, suggested that a mob hitman named Louis Fellini 
Good old Louis Fellini was <laughs> responsible. I mean, with a name like that, I mean, I'm 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 charging the guy already with six murders, Louis. But no, he, he then he did confess, and he said once I started, I couldn't stop it. I just it went so fast. So now Brittany is going to talk about the trial and conviction, but after that, we're going to really try to peel back this very complicated onion. Absolutely. My goodness. So his trial began on October 14th, 1975. His lawyer issued a not guilty by reason of insanity plea tickle, and claimed that DeFeo killed his family in self-defense. That's a good one, huh? In response to the voices in his head. Now, that makes me a little bit nervous about Randy Orton. Yeah, he, he's been hearing voices in his head for like 12 years. Yeah, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, yeah, and he's back now, too. He's back, and, geez, the next pay-per-view, we we better watch out. Right. (laughs) So this argument was supported by Ronald's psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist for the prosecution argued that although DeFeo was a heavy user of LSD and heroin, oddly enough, just like Charles Manson. Right, I imagine that. Yeah, and was suffering from an antisocial personality disorder— He was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. So on November 21st, 1975, he was found guilty of six counts of second degree murder. Judge Thomas Stark sentenced DeFeo to six sentences of 25 years to life and said that the crimes were the most heinous murders committed in Suffolk County since its founding. He was held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York, until his death, March 21st, 2021, so just a couple years ago, at the age of 69, all of his appeals and requests to the parole board were exhausted. Now, Benny, this murder, ghastly as it was, was shredded in controversy on many counts. Why don't you start with the crime itself? Yeah, I'll do that, uh, Brittany, but one one quick sidetrack, and I'd like to hear... The whole insanity versus sanity. Now, me, like, I'm thinking if you killed six of your your uh, family members, how could you possibly be sane? That That's right. where I struggle with, with, you know, with the whole sane versus insane, because I can't imagine. I mean, like I said, we, we're both uh, fairly normal people. I mean, some people question my my sanity. But I mean, in a million years, I could never ever think of like laying a, a finger on, especially when I was younger on my parents in anger. And like, to, I, I just can't, I can't make that leap. I just, I, I can't, I don't see how somebody could be considered sane and yet do something that atrocious. What do you, what do you, what do you feel? I feel exactly the same way. I mean, like I said, you know, I've been very, my sister and I had horrible fights, but nobody wanted to kill anybody. You know, I mean, I just, I don't understand. You, you have to be, not sane to do that i i I, yeah that's that's what i don't get but yeah we're we're talking about 49 years ago maybe this you know that maybe if it was done if the trial happened today maybe they'd come up with a different different outcome who knows but the the this now here's this is really where you know as far as peeling back the onion of the crime um what i can't wrap my arms around so there was no evidence of drugs being administered but Everybody was found face down in their beds without, and you know, it was confirmed they were not moved. Uh, There was no sign of a struggle, but yet 
there was no evidence of drugs being administered. And um, although DeFeo at one point, you know, one of his 4,000 stories said he did. And there was no silencer on the rifle. I mean, you'd, common sense would say that, if, you know, if the fir- after the first shot was fired, that the rest of the family would have woken up and just, you know, just as an instinct would have ran away from the gunfire. And and even the neighbors, um, I've, I've driven past that house many times. And um, I, I, I was telling you off air that um, I had a fraternity summer house two years later in Lindenhurst, Long Island in 1976, the two years. So the crime was still fairly fresh to where like that house was an attraction. And yeah. I, the, the route that I had to take, I drove past that pub. They had changed the name to, I think it was Pastime Pub. Uh, but you, you make, a, a, and it was on the intersection of uh, Route 110 and Montauk Highway. And when you made that left onto Montauk Highway, uh, the first, very first right was Ocean Avenue, and um, but you know it was it was a very it was a quiet neighborhood, but I would not I mean the houses you know kind of like probably Boston I mean the houses aren't far apart I mean they're they're fairly close together yeah so you you would I mean common sense would say that um, the, a neighbor would have heard a gunshot no the only thing that any of the neighbors heard uh, was uh, their dog barking right around three o'clock in the morning. And um, now I, I was talking to my my sister, actually, while I was talking to my brother-in-law, and she brought up a good point, though. You know, how good, I mean, there was no such thing as forensics back then, no DNA. No, I would think, you know, even like the testing for drugs, you were talking 49 years ago, mm-hmm. had to be pretty primitive. Maybe, yeah. he, maybe he administered something that, that, you know, was not traceable, that I- rendered these people helpless, because it... What's the chances of everybody being found in the exact same position yeah. and, and not having woken up with, I mean, suppose it was a fairly loud rifle. In fact, I think one of the, when I was watching one of the doc- documentaries, one of the police uh, officers said that typically you could hear something like that, like four or five blocks away. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a quiet gun. So um, I don't know. I just, you know, and like we just said, the De- Feo story changed more times than I changed my underwear. So at first, at first, he claims that his younger sister, Dawn, killed the father and their distraught mother then in turn killed all the siblings. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely cannot wrap my arms around like a mom killing their own children like that. I mean, the mom who was, you know, probably one of the most saner persons in, in the family. And then um, he also, DeFeo also claimed that he was married and living in New Jersey with a, a woman named Geraldine Gates. And returned to Amityville at the prompting of the mother to break up the, a fight between Ronald Sr. and the, the oldest daughter, Dawn. And I mean, that would be a great alibi if, if you know, if you just don't you, you ignore the fact that uh, the DeFeo and Gates didn't meet until I think the mid 80s. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a small fact, right? Um, yeah, just a little bit. So in 1990, so that was 16 years after the shooting, uh, DeFeo filed a 440 motion, which I'm not a lawyer. I mean, we're, we're not lawyers, psychiatrists. We're just fans of true crime. Uh, but it's a proceeding to have his, his conviction vacated. And in this one, he claimed that his uh, his younger sister, his younger sister Dawn, the oldest girl, and I mean, the second oldest child, um, and an unknown assailant killed the parents. The assailant fled, and then Dawn killed the siblings. And then uh, the fair claim that he accidentally killed Dawn in a struggle over the rifle. And he also asserted that, again, that he was married to Geraldine Gates and he was with uh, her brother at the time of the killings. So um, that would be a great alibi, except for the fact that at the time, 
Geraldine Gates was married with somebody else to, to somebody else and living in upstate New York. So, you know, my opinion, and the only thing about the number 440 is the, the pounds of bullshit that DeFeo was slinging. Yeah. And, you know, now if the story ended here, it's, I mean, still be quite the story, quite the doozy. I mean, geez, right. guy kills six of his family members, but it goes on. And which really makes it probably why we're talking about it now. So on December 18th, 1975, the house on Ocean Avenue was uh, purchased by the Lutz family, George and Kathy. And Kathy had three younger children from a prior marriage. They were in the house for a grand total of 28 days before they fled in horror or quote unquote. We don't really know. And moved to San Diego. Now, uh, Brittany, the bad girl, is going to tell you about what the Lutz family allegedly went through. And I say allegedly because who knows? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when George and Kathy Lutz bought this house, they brought in a Catholic priest to bless the house. According to the priest and according to the movie that I watched, which was the one from 2005, um, he felt very cold in the sewing room. He heard voices telling him to get out and felt a slap on the face. You know, and we we always have this this mental image of like the voice always says get out. You know, in my mind, I I picture like Bill Clinton saying, "I think it's best if you leave as soon as possible." You know, that would be you know, I'd listen to that voice. I would listen to that voice. That's probably the only thing he ever would say that I would that listen. I'd listen to exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. In the four weeks that the family lived in the house, there were many, many alleged paranormal instances, such as flies, and I mean a lot of flies, in the house, even in the winter. Now, the movie that I saw, there had to be hundreds of them, and they landed right on the priest's face and knocked him down off a ladder. Uh, now, George, the husband, George Lutz, he woke up at around three, it was actually 3.15 every morning, which was the approximate time that Ronald murdered his family. But every morning, 3.15, as soon as it flipped from 14 to 15, his eyes would automatically open. And George would look at his daughter Missy's window from the outside of the house, and he would see the head of a pig with glowing orange eyes. Yikes. Imagine that. And Missy had an invisible friend, a pig named Jody. Apparently, George observed instances where Missy was asleep and the rocking chair next to her bed was rocking. <laughs> I guess if Jody's a rocking, don't, don't come, come knocking. <laughs> I remember that bumper sticker from the Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, George was also always cold and continuously stoking the fireplace he allegedly saw demonic faces in the fireplace this was supposedly regular he also saw green slime on the walls now on january 14 1976 the family fled the house 28 days after moving in allegedly with just the clothing on their backs and fled to california what do you make of this benny well, I can make a brooch. Oh, oh, never mind. I, I saw an airplane a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Stuck in my head. You know, what do I make of this? I don't know. This is just me, but I, I smell a money grab here because uh, by all accounts and even by, by admission by his own kids, uh, George Lutz was dabbled in the occult 
And he had his eye on the DeFeo house for quite some time after the murder. And um, he got the house for the, the bargain price of 80,000 bucks. And um, even though they fled, they were somehow they were somehow unscared enough to come back later for a yard sale. So right. I, I'm sure they made a small fortune off the book, The Amityville Horror. And you said there was two movies, right? There was the, the original in 79 and the 2005 sequel. Yes. OK. But I mean, I, I think this was a calculated maneuver by George Lutz, which, aside from traumatizing three young children, was a, a, a goldmine from a, a financial uh, perspective. And I did, you know, in doing the research for the podcast, uh, his steps on Chris uh, Quarantino maintained that many of the supposed uh, paranormal events were they either made up or embellished. And he called George a, a Lutz a showman. So, you know, that kind of tells you something. The couple divorced in 1980. Just five years after moving in, into the house on Ocean Avenue, uh, they're both gone. Kathy Lutz died of emphysema in 2004, and George died of heart disease in 2006. You know, for the most part, the uh, the kids have uh, have remained silent. They've kind of been secluded. Um, wow. So, Brittany, I, I think I've been quite frank, and actually, maybe that should be my new name instead of Benny. Should be Frank. <laughs> what say you? Yes, Frank. I agree. You be Frank, and I'll be Ernest. <laughs> so I. Yeah, I I also I would like to say in a little bit of research that I did, I believe there are several other sequels. Um, I think about three or four more movies that have the name Amityville in them. So, I mean, to, if he got paid for two, he got paid for five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean. And the movie that I saw, which was the 2005 one, did not say anything at all about him knowing that there was a murder in the house prior. This movie showed the wife going to the husband and saying, oh, I don't know. And he said, look, houses don't kill people. People do. Yeah. We're all set. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, they 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 brought the priest in to bless the house. They they knew. I mean, they knew full well what happened in that house. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, here's here's my question um, to anybody who's listening and, you know, and Brittany as well is, you know, would you as a newlywed and this is a, a common sense question, move your your relatively brand new wife and three stepchildren to a house where you knew the previous residents were slaughtered. I mean, it may be just me, but I, I wouldn't have bought that house for eight bucks, let alone $80,000. I just, I just, in my mind, George Lutz knew exactly what he was doing and he had no intention of staying in that house long-term. What say you, bad girl? Yeah, I, I, I agree now that I know this. Um, I, I think it was definitely, definitely um, a cash grab. I do, I do. Um, I, I'm shocked by it, uh, but then again, I've known some pretty awful people that would do something like that. So, hey, why not George? You know. You know and the, the funny thing is, is that uh, nobody after you know anybody who purchased it because they they gave up the house in what seventy, I think early seventy six. Yeah. And so that's what forty seven years ago, almost forty eight years ago. And there's never been people people living at a house right now. I mean, every time I've been back to Long Island, I I don't know why I'm I'm just fixated. I always, whenever I'm back on Long Island, I always drive past that house. Oh, so and was I. 
it's just, I mean, it's, it looks, you, you would never know anything. I mean, abnormal happened. Of course, I mean, the, like the murder definitely happened and that was a horrific, a horrific tragedy. But yeah. as far as everything else, I, I just, you know, again, I have a very vivid imagination, you know, you know, maybe the pig named Jody, I don't know, could you maybe it's kind of a weird name for a pig, but you know, I agree. You know, I, Russell, Russell would be a good name for a pig or Gregory, you know, something like that. But or Penelope oh, was a girl. Yeah, pig. exactly. Or babe, you know, something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, a lot of controversy here. Uh, but one thing that's not for debate is that Ronald DeFeo did murder his family and he was most definitely uh, a, a nut job. Um, so that about wraps it up for another episode of True Crime, episode of True Crime with the bad girl and the player. Uh, bad girl, any closing thoughts? You know, just I'm shocked, and I hope that someday those children do speak out because I would like to hear what they have to say. Because the movie that I saw, George treated them very, very bad, especially the one named Chris, very bad. And he also hatcheted the dog. He what? Uh, he, he killed the dog with a hatchet. Why? Voices told him to do it. Oh, yeah, they showed it, too. I wow. had to turn away. I had to turn away. Yeah, that, yeah, that he, was, yeah. Uh, he was not dealing with a full deck. I mean, no. but no. I mean, he I, I I do believe he 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 was a man on a mission. And I mean, I, to a certain extent, mission accomplished, although I mean, yeah, maybe you made a few bucks, but you, you lost your family within five years. Oh and you always had that cloud hanging over your head. Yeah, you know, definitely. You're that, you're that guy. You have to. I mean, you have to. People have to sleep at night. Now, I, you know, if I, if I step on an ant, I feel guilty. I, I can't imagine doing something like that. Yeah, that, I mean, the family dog. I think his name was Harry, and he was the cutest little thing. He just went out there with a hatchet and hatcheted that dog. He went to the boathouse and did it. And I mean, you know, never admitted it. He told the kids, uh, I believe he ran away. I believe he ran away. And Chris spoke up. He, he spoke up to George quite a bit. And he said, uh, he never runs away. He never runs away. What do you mean? So I, I hope someday they do come forward. I mean, they have no vested interest unless they got paid off somehow because they're not, I mean, they really have no affiliation with him anymore. You know, the, the, the parents divorced, they were stepchildren. I mean, and it sounds like you said, they didn't think very highly of him at all. Yeah. Yeah, he treated them pretty poorly, and he treated the, the mother. He was physically abusive to the mother as well during all of this, and that was supposedly the uh, the voices telling him what to do. Right. Sad. What do you do? You, do you think? I mean, I think this crime it, it's it's legendary status in Long Island. I, I but I I wonder if it might have been a little bit more obscure if it wasn't for the you know for the the the, the part with the Lutzes. I think. They just added another layer to this this horror, this tragedy that, you know, and here we are 49 years later, still, you know, still talking about it. Yeah. And, and you know, movies keep coming out and all that kind of stuff. And and then there's other houses, you know, there's one here in Rhode Island called The Conjuring House, you know, so um, interesting stuff. I'll tell you these weird houses. But That's really funny because there was a house. Uh, again, I you know I grew up in Farmingdale. The next town over is Massapequa, with the home of uh, with Jerry Seinfeld, Alec Baldwin, uh, the guy from the Stray Cats too, Brian Setzer. But there was a house that was uh, inhabited by Wiccans, and I forgot what we even called it. But you know, again, like my my younger brother, hey, can we drive past the the witch house? And, <laughs> 
just to see if anybody was outside. You know, just <laughs> people are just we're, we're fascinated by things that are different than than us. Whatever oh, it is. Definitely. I mean, I finally I've lived in Rhode Island for 26 years and I finally just last year went to the Conjuring House tour. And, you know, I, I sat there waiting for things to happen and got to tell you, nothing happened. It was, it was conjureless. Conjureless. Yeah. Oh, man, but, what a disappointment. Well, for me, it was. Now, they told us in one room, I went with my friend Matt, by the way, and Matt did have some things happen when he okay. went upstairs. Um, and he, uh, you know, he believed it all. He believed it all. And there was a group of, I think, four of us that, that all went together. And they told us books usually fly off these uh, shelves here in this room. So I stood there for about 10 minutes and waited. Nothing moved a millimeter. Right. And I just went, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, so I don't know. I, I'm starting to wonder about these houses. Yeah. I mean, they had another one. One. I mean, I watched probably three different documentaries on this case. And they had uh, an actual friend of the a childhood friend of one of the DeFeo girls. And there was supposedly, I mean, we didn't really cover this, but there was a, a hidden room, I guess, that the that George Lutz found yeah. that she said, oh, it wasn't a hidden room. We used to hang out there all the time. So just, you know, just another, and I guess, according to Lutz, the dog wouldn't go in there and all kinds, you know, dogs and cats living together, all kinds of drama. But, you know, according to the, 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 the girl, you know, we used to go there, we used to hang out, we used to tell stories, like, no big deal. Yeah, and in the movie that I saw, it, it it showed that he did find it, and it was all painted red. Right. Red paint inside. Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the, 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 the son that uh, called him a showman, I think he had it right on the money there. Yeah, yeah, he had him pegged for sure. So, well, that's another one, uh, Bad Girl. And uh, with that, on behalf of the Bad Girl, I am the player. Be safe and see you soon. Thanks for watching.